0: Still my soul. Hey, everybody. This is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every change, he's
1: faithful. Good morning. We're ready uh, to get started here in our uh, Sunday morning class. Everybody can uh, grab a seat as soon as you can. So just to update everybody as far as where we are in our class, we have four classes left counting today, um, which is about half as many almost, not quite, but half as many as I would like to have right now. Uh, but we've uh, we've been looking through the subject of knowing God, and really our intention was to look at two uh, specific topics and things related to those topics. One was Uh, the subject of natural revelation, that is God revealing himself in the world, uh, the universe around us. We have spent uh, quite a bit of time on that subject, and uh, and so what is left for us is to turn our attention to the subject of special revelation, that is God speaking directly to man. So we'll be making that transition uh, today uh, as we wrap up a couple of items uh, remaining in our previous class that kind of makes that transition for us. Uh, So we'll be doing that today and for the next three classes. Um, Suffice it to say, we don't have a lot of time for that subject. So we're going to be hitting some highlights and probably leaving some things out that we would like to talk about. uh, But we want to make sure that we at least cover that topic sufficiently uh, today and the next three weeks as we go through uh, that subject. Um, As we had uh, been talking uh, through the subject of natural revelation, we said we wanted to answer three questions. This third question uh, really blends the two topics together. Uh, the first, uh, uh, the third question, the first question was um, about beginnings, the metaphysical question: How did we get here? Why are we here? Uh, that question. The second question was discussing the difference between man and the rest of creation, because they're very important topics that are dealt with in that, and we've been talking about that for the last two or three classes. And the third question is, how do we understand or know the subject of epistemology? And we're going to reduce this subject to something pretty simple, and that is uh, if we're trying to uh, look at ourselves, and remember in this class we said, let's look at this subject, the subject of our existence, the subject of man, purely from the world around us. And we're not we're using special revelation really except in the places where in special revelation we see arguments made from creation. So those are the passages we were looking at. But we come to this topic of knowledge, which was a concern for ancient Greek philosophers and for mankind ever since. And that is, how do we know what we know? How do we know for certain that we understand and are interpreting the world around us correctly? um And that is a subject of epistemology, and I would reduce it to this for our for our study for our sake, and that is that there are two worldviews: there is a worldview where there is no God, and only natural or material explanations are are, are are proper that's the only way to explain the world around us is to simply explain it in natural terms um, In Francis Schaeffer's book, he is there and he's not silent. He constantly referred to this idea uh, that people have is a closed system. In other words, only natural explanations in a closed system. In other words, there's nothing outside of nature. Only the material can be used to explain things. The second, of course, is the idea that there is a God and that he has spoken to us that God is the basis for interpreting and understanding the universe and for interpreting and understanding ourselves and our own experience. And we've talked a lot about in the last couple of weeks this idea of our own experience. tells us a lot. As men and women, we understand a lot or feel a lot and see a lot in our own selves. And we've talked about that uh, quite a bit. So this option A that you see there, there is no God, is the idea that random chance is responsible. It is the only explanation and is responsible for everything that we see, that random chance. And and I've suggested here that random chance cannot answer these important questions that we have. Random chance can't explain the beginning of the universe. Random chance cannot explain life. Random chance cannot explain the difference that we clearly see in ourselves versus the rest of creation, that man is unique and has something special about him. Random chance cannot answer the question, why are we here, the idea of purpose. Random chance offers no explanation for these things. And scientists who are pure naturalists and materialists understand that they don't answer these questions that they are unable to uh, answer them. I saw or heard a quote recently that I really liked, and that is, the universe is not made of matter, but of what matters. The universe is not made of matter, but of what matters. And, and I think that's something that we sense, that there is something far beyond the material universe, beyond just matter, but there is something called what matters. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit as we go through here. Deism, we talked about deism as a subcategory of this, there is no God, and deism is the idea of scientists who cannot get beyond the fact that there is a lot of design, there is evidence of intelligence behind the universe and the creation of everything. And they can't get past that, so they adopt a deistic view, and that is... Clearly there is a mind, or perhaps we might call that mind God, but that that mind is only a creative force and isn't a personal God. But that doesn't really answer the most important questions, does it? It doesn't answer purpose. It answers none of the why questions. It doesn't explain the difference in man. And it certainly doesn't address the moral consciousness of man And that is the idea of right and wrong. But what deism is is an attempt to acknowledge what science forces upon people, but is an attempt to avoid any responsibility, any of the consequences to the fact that there is a God. So what we're going to move towards now is that only an infinite personal God is a sufficient answer to these questions we've posed. Only the idea of an infinite god who is powerful, knows everything, is everywhere, is outside of the universe, outside of time and space, only a god like that could have created the world, and only a personal god that is one who seeks to interact with man is sufficient to answer the questions that we have. And so we began to look at that. You know, and nothing, you know, nothing really forces us in this direction more than the thing that probably makes man most unique in comparison to all other creatures on the earth, and that is communication. And particularly within communication, verbalization. Um, And by verbalization, I'm including in that the idea of the written word, the idea of words where we communicate and written words. So if there is a God and if he is a personal God and that seeks to communicate with us, we would expect that he would, because he made us in his image and made us to be verbal creatures, that he would seek to communicate with us on that basis. It would not be surprising that if there is a God and if we are his children made in his image, that he seeks to communicate to with us through verbal revelations. And in fact, that's part of the argument in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, what we find is Paul is speaking there in Athens is he is using their own conclusions. They've already come to the conclusion living in the world, living in the universe, that there must be a God. They've already come to that conclusion. However, their understanding of that God was clearly imperfect. Clearly, they didn't understand who that God was, and that's why Paul is speaking to them. But he also uses their conclusion that their own prophets and their own philosophers had decided that men must be the children of God. And Paul says, you're right, we are the children of God. And that is this idea that we were made in the image of God. So what I want to suggest to you is that God has spoken. If I am speaking to someone who who struggles with the idea of faith in God, who doesn't believe in God, and I appeal to them and say, what do you understand from the universe? What can you see from the universe? Does the universe suggest to you that there must be an intelligent mind behind the universe? And if there is an intelligent mind, do you think that intelligence is distant from us or close to us? And Paul is saying that that mind, that God, is close to us. He says he is near to each of us. And so then I would suggest to you that he has spoken to us. And Paul is using both natural revelation and special revelation in this lesson. He says, you know from the natural revelation of God that there is a God, that he's there. And I'm here to tell you that he has spoken. I'm here to share with you the gospel of Christ. And so Paul says, he is now commanded that all men everywhere repent. He says, in fact, in the New American Center, he says, he is declaring to all men. He is speaking to us. So if we were to begin where we are in the context of our class, and I said to you, the scriptures begin, in the very beginning, the scriptures address all of these important questions these questions that we have about the universe and its origins, its beginning, its purpose, the uniqueness of man, the moral consciousness of man, the idea of right and wrong, and our basis for understanding. If I said to you, our basis for understanding everything, if I said to you, in the very beginning, all of these important questions that men have wrestled with through thousands of years are answered. In the very beginning, they are suggested and the framework for understanding these things are there. And of course, I'm referring to Genesis. In Genesis chapter one, and verse one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. So there is, this question of was there a beginning to the universe? The scriptures answer it in the first sentence. There was a beginning. And that beginning was with God. God created the heavens and the earth. The questions about man, we find in Genesis chapter one, and verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And there's much more, of course, in that statement. We're not breaking down every part of this, but this idea of God letting, let us, that is the plurality of the Trinity in God, which is a, a subject we haven't touched on very much, but really is all through these topics that we're talking about. He says, Let us, God, one, but three in the beginning, let us make man in our image. Why is man different? Because man was made in the likeness of God our relationship to the world around us. He says, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The difference of man, the uniqueness of man and all of creation is clearly stated here, made in the image of God, made to rule over the earth. And of course, Uh, Some of the passages we looked at in the psalm, uh, David references this very idea. And then in Genesis chapter 1, and verse 31, we read, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So at the conclusion of this creation process, God looks out and says, it's very good. It's very good. In fact, it was perfect. It was perfect. But as we talked about last week at the conclusion of class, we talked about the cruelty of man, the sinfulness of man, and how do you explain that? And particularly if you're claiming that man was made in the image of God, doesn't God bear the responsibility for the cruelty of man, of the things that are on the earth, that the... Uh, And you could add to that subject the idea of natural disasters and the suffering that is on the earth. How do you explain that? If God made man and man is in his image, how do you explain that? Well, we said that either man was always that way or at some point in time, man changed from what God had made him. And the Genesis story explains that to us as well. There was a change in man. God had given man both authority and responsibility to the earth and its creatures, but he had also made a prohibition. In Genesis chapter two and verse fifteen. Then the Lord took God, the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Genesis three Goes on to tell us how Adam and Eve violated God's prohibition, his law, if you will, regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And man's first sin brought about the consequence of death. And there was a curse declared. There was a curse upon the serpent, there was the curse upon the woman. There was a curse upon the man, in effect, on the earth. Everything changed. And most importantly, and we see in those changes, you know, the explanation of why is man estranged? Why is man cruel? Why is man sinful? Because man changed from what God had intended through his free will. And chose sin. And sin brought death. But the most important, the most important change was man's separation from God. And that is borne out in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. One of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. Says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? We see in this passage the tragic consequences of the change in man. We see an image of what was and an image of what then it became. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. I suspect this is just an everyday occurrence in the garden before sin, to hear the Lord God on his evening walk. And ordinarily, it is clear that ordinarily they would have communed with God. Because the Lord God calls out and says, where are you? It's like you meet your best friend at the coffee shop every night, every every afternoon, and one day they don't show up. And you worry, and so God calls out and says, "Where are you? I I usually find you here. We usually are speaking with one another. Where are you?" And the man was hiding because he was ashamed, because he was naked, because he knew he had violated God's law, and man is separated. of the tree of life. So everything that was beautiful about the Garden of Eden in a moment is gone. And man is cast from the garden. He is no longer walking and talking with the God of heaven in the garden, but instead he is on the outside dealing with the dust of the earth, the thorns, They're rising up from the ground, working by the sweat of his brow, bleeding from the thorns, and that is man's existence. But in all of this, in the story of Genesis 3, there, of course, we find there the promise of reconciliation in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel." And of course we recognize this looking back as the promise of redemption through Christ. So in the very opening pages now now keep in mind as we talk about Genesis 3 Genesis 3 is written by Moses so a lot all of Genesis has transpired when these words are written, right? Everything we read about in Genesis is now history when this account is written by Moses and provided to us. So God has been communicating with men for a long time when these words are put on paper, but they're put on paper with a purpose. So when I say that it is at the very beginning that God speaks to these great questions, it is by design. Moses began here by the inspiration of God. God says from the very beginning these are the important questions. And here is the understanding. Here is the framework by which you should interpret everything. That's the epistemology of the Bible. That God, as the creative force in the universe, creating man in his own image. That is the framework for understanding everything. And of course, that turns our attention to this idea of special revelation. And I apologize when I emailed my uh, new PowerPoint today to Steve, I didn't realize I wasn't on the internet at the moment, so they didn't come. So I don't have my slides for today, we'll just work without them. But that turns our attention to the idea of special revelation, the idea that God has spoken. God has spoken directly to us. that he, He has spoken to us in his creation, as we've been talking about, but he has gone beyond that and he has communicated directly to us. As I said in Acts chapter 17, Paul transitions from natural revelation to the fact that God has declared to men... That they must repent. God has spoken. Paul himself is presenting the gospel message to them. He transitions from the natural to the special, and by special revelation, of course, we mean that God has spoken to us. That God, yeah. And there, and there, we won't take the time. One of the things we're, we're not going, we're going to have to skip over is we're not going to go into you know, the various uh, forms. But I do want to direct your attention to to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be focusing on special revelation primarily as the written word. But as I was saying a moment ago, God was interacting with mankind, speaking with mankind in the ways that we read about in Genesis, before Genesis was written. So God was interacting, but God has recorded for us through inspired writers, and we're going to come to all that next week. God has spoken to us and recorded for us his word that we might refer to it. But in Hebrews chapter 1, the Hebrew writer said, in verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. So here is the past. He says, up until this time, God has spoken to us. God has spoken to the fathers. And, and keep in mind, the Jewish audience for the writer of Hebrews, primarily and first and foremost, a Jewish audience to this, to this letter. He says, God has spoken or spoke long ago to the fathers. Who, who are the fathers? Well, the, he's referring to the, the Jewish fathers, to their fathers. God has spoken to them in the prophets. God was speaking through the prophets. And of course we know that through the prophets the record of God speaking directly to men, when God spoke to Abraham, when God spoke to Adam and Eve and then spoke to Abraham and, and others between, he was speaking directly to them. and the record of him speaking directly to them is then recorded in the written scriptures. So there are this many ways in which God had spoken to the, to the fathers. But he says, in these last days, that is, God has spoken to us in his Son. In the last days, he has spoken to to, uh, to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So his Son, who was, by the way, present in the beginning, in the first three chapters of Genesis, his Son is there, but he has spoken to us in that his son, and the implied part of this is his son came to the earth. And he has spoken to us. And he says, well, more than that, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. So, how has God spoken to us? He's spoken to us through the prophets, to the fathers. The written word, we're going to elaborate on that a little bit more. But he has spoken to us in his written word. And in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son who came to this earth and presented to us an exact representation of God's nature. An exact representation of his nature. So we have met God in the flesh. He says, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. That is, this Jesus who came, the Son of God, was the creative agent in the universe, and he upholds everything that is by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins... So there's the answer of the promise of Genesis 3.15. How did he make purification of sins? Well, through the sacrifice of himself. Through the sacrifice of himself, he solved the problem of man's sin. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How would he do that? Because God had raised him from the dead. He sacrificed himself, but God raised him to sit in glory at his right hand of the majesty on high. So the Hebrew writer says that God has always spoken to us, but in these last days he's given us his Son, who is the Creator, sent to earth not only to speak for, but to represent God in an exact way to mankind and to make of himself a sacrifice for sin after which he was raised from the dead to sit at the right hand of God in glory and majesty. That is the framework by which we interpret everything. So if we were to look at the scriptures, we we begin with God creating everything, we come to this moment of Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection in this place of glory and majesty at the right hand of God, and we come to the gospel story, which is the telling of those things, what we realize is, is everything, everything in the Bible is related to this one thing. The scriptures are not the history of everything. The scriptures are the history of everything that matters. Everything that has any purpose, any real meaning in terms of who we are and why we are here. It is the epistemology that matters. So we turn to the Scriptures. Now, what I would suggest to you, and and the whole purpose of this class when I was envisioning what we were going to do here is that increasingly, we are going to meet people where we work, where we live, where we play. We meet people who have rejected the idea of God. And they reject it in ignorance. Their arguments are arguments from ignorance. But it is an ignorance that is often combined with a great deal of arrogance, And there is nothing more dangerous to a person than arrogant ignorance. When you think you know things that you don't know and are overly confident in that ignorance, it creates a very difficult place from which to move forward. So, what we've done in this class up to this point is not to answer every single question, address every argument, but to simply say there's more that you need to be aware of. You need, you, 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 If you have questions about this, there's places to explore and come to better understanding, a more fuller understanding. And so when you're speaking with that person, what you have to do is you have to get their attention. You have to provide enough information in your brief encounter to at least make them question their arrogance, question their ignorance, and give them a reason to look further. And you can certainly do that before you ever open the Scriptures because God has made it evident in the things around them. But once, once they begin to acknowledge that, then it is time to introduce the framework for understanding the universe and to offer that as a solution. So we look to the Scriptures. Why do we believe the Bible? That is largely what we're going to be talking about um, the next two weeks. Why do we believe the Bible? Um, even New Testament writers acknowledged that there were those who were going to claim that their story, the gospel story, was cleverly devised fables. Right? It's not new that men look at the biblical account and say, oh, "I don't believe that stuff. I, I don't. It's fairy tales, made-up stuff." No different than Greek mythology, Roman mythology, the pantheism of the East. It's just men making what they think makes them feel better. We, we we encounter that. We experience that. So why do we believe the Bible? Why do we believe the Scriptures? Why do we turn to it and trust it? Well, you can... You can look at, you know, when we look at the scriptures, we we kind of begin uh, with a couple of passages or traditionally have. Uh, The first one is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Most of you are probably familiar with this, where Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, "All, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So the first answer we might offer in looking at one of these passages and often have is the idea that the Scriptures are inspired by God, that they are, in fact, the words of God. And we'll talk about that a little bit more fully in the uh, next couple of weeks. So the Scripture claims to be the inspired Word of God. Another passage, very similar to this one in 2 Peter chapter one and verse 21. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So here is another New Testament writer who is saying that, the scriptures are the inspired words of God, that the Holy Spirit is the origin of these things. So we look to these two passages very commonly, but next week what I want us to do in the beginning of our class is to focus on what Jesus had to say about all of this. Let's look at Jesus, and we'll talk about more about these passages. Um, but that's our topic for the remainder of our class is looking at the scriptures and topics related to that And then we'll conclude by looking at some aspects of God found in the Scriptures. Thank you for your attention.
0: The Lord is in His holy temple. Again, thanks for listening. If you live in north-central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.org. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep silence before